0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Off Podcast. I'm your host, Harris Arrino. Alongside me, Dan Kylie. Dan, Tuesday nights. How's it going, my man?
1: It's going great. Nice little holiday weekend. Hope uh, everybody had time to spend it with their family and enjoy some good food and get back to work on the right foot this week. So I'm ready to go.
0: Absolutely, guys. We have an action-packed episode today. I know a lot's been going on um, outside of just Georgia football. Obviously, the SEC coaches' spring meetings uh, took place today, at, at least day one of the coaches' meeting t- took place t- uh, today. Um, instead of touching on that today, because I'm expecting more news to come out of it as the week progresses, we will touch on that uh, next week uh, when hopefully uh, – n- Changes, rules, updates, whatever, uh, start making its way into the news feed. So we will not be touching on that tonight. Um, I will will be going on uh, into it next week a little bit more in depth for episode 45 uh, and episode 45 of the top. Dog talk podcast. So guys with that, let's move on to our main event, our headline topic, as we call it of the night, Changes things up a little bit for our new listeners. Hopefully you're tuning in um, from either YouTube, Facebook or Twitter. That is right. We've added Twitter and Facebook uh, to our destination. So hopefully you are joining us uh, tonight here from home. Dan, we got a bit, we got, we got a lot to talk about. And first off it's, been basically the mainstream headline when talking about Georgia football is you know Georgia's football's offense is going to need to step up in a big way in twenty twenty two. That's that's the that's the mantra going around now. So Dan, let's get it started off. I just want your thoughts on this whole narrative that Georgia's offense is gonna to have to take a massive step forward in twenty twenty two.
1: The narrative that they have to take a massive step forward I think is false. Then if you're saying that I want them to take a step forward, that's, that's awesome. And and I agree with you, but the assertion would be that Georgia's defense is not going to be very good this year. And I think we've hit on it a couple of times already where I don't feel like Georgia's defense is going to take that much of a step back. If a step back at all. Now, if they were to put up the same numbers as last year, I think every single person on earth would be blown away. I think Kirby might be blown away a little bit as well, but I don't think it's going to be that much of a step back. So, I don't think Georgia's offense necessarily has to carry the load, but it's a great question to ask. If Georgia's offense is put in a situation where they have to win football games, are they going to be able to do it? Because last year, typically, and in most cases, the defense set the tone. The offense only had to do what they were asked to do, which in most cases were not that bad or not, not that much. But I would like to see this offense start being as dominant as the defense has been in the past. So it's a great question to ask. You have some numbers written down, some people coming back. I'll let you uh, carry the load a little bit in this conversation right now.
0: And what Dan's alluding to is in our show notes, we did some tracking of exactly what all Georgia is bringing back. And here's what we had. um, Thanks to Bill Connolly over at ESPN and his returning production. Um, Statistics that he did number crunching, uh, as I like to call it, back in February. Georgia's returning seventy three percent of their offensive production. That is include that includes starters like Stetson Bennett, your starting quarterback, much to the dismay of many, uh, uh, not many, of some. In the famous. Uh, Dan, I think you are uh, you you remember just as well as I do our very you know first few episodes together uh, talking about that and the narrative that he can't do it even after winning that championship. They bring back receivers like Adoni Mitchell, Lad McConkie. Tight end Brock Bowers, Warren McClendon, offensive tackle, offensive guard Warren Erickson, and starting center Cedric Van Brunt. So this the cabin is not bare, or the cabinet's not bare for Georgia. There is a lot coming back, and that's not even mentioning some of the guys that you know weren't starters last year, in Darnell Washington, or you know, Eric Gilbert, you know, just to name a few. uh, You know, guys injured like Kyrus Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, all that you're you're getting those guys back added on back into the mix on top of that so dan is it fair to say you know starting with the receivers this is the most talented set of wideouts george has had in a long time
1: i think as a collective unit you could possibly make that that statement however i believe in the past they've had individuals who are much more talented than some of the guys on this i mean it's very hard to say when you lose a uh, a guy like Pickens like George Pickens that this is a better group than a group with him included in that so individually I think they've had better talents individually but as a collection it's a really really good unit and I, I think by the time this season's over we're going to be really impressed with some of these guys especially some of the younger guys and some of the guys that haven't really been thrust on that main stage yet and if you look at a guy like I, you know I Marcus, uh, Roseby, Jack Saint, you know, I really didn't have that much of an opinion one way or another of him until the Florida game. And then ultimately he ends up snapping his ankle. But if you remember the early portion of that game, he was balling out. I mean, he was doing a great job. And then you got a guy like Aaron, um, Aaron Smith, who is a speed demon and has the ability to take the top off. And we've heard so many good things about him. Unfortunately, the guy can't stay healthy. And sometimes that can plague a, a person's whole career, and we hope that's not the case because, you know, Zamir White came in injured, got injured, but then got healthy at the back end of his career. Chubb was, oh, my gosh, Chubb was just on another level. And then he gets hurt, and, you know, there's like a year year and a half where it's kind of like, you could see flashes of the old chub, but then it really wasn't there. And then his last year at Georgia, you're like, Oh yeah, he's back. And he's been back ever since. So there's a lot of these guys where through injury or circumstances that out of out of their control, they've never really burst onto the scene the way that you know, like Pickens did his first year. But then even Pickens got hurt, right? So I mean it's Georgia's kind of been cursed at those skill position, uh skill player positions where We've never really gotten to see one of these guys go all the way through unscathed and just be an absolute monster, be superstar. I mean, whether it be suspension or injury, it's almost like every single superstar skill player at Georgia's uh, missed time for some reason uh, or another. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a a glaring name that's jumping out and somebody's screaming. But you can even go back to Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray, the winningest quarterback in Georgia history, tears his ACL against Kentucky. So – yeah, they've got a ton of talent, and it's probably good that they have a bunch of it because, like I said, it it seems like the skill players are just a little bit cursed.
0: Yeah, I mean, and never hurts to have depth, and I think maybe that's where the line's drawn uh, when we say, you know, Georgia has one of the most com- – well, not complete. One of the most – one of the more deeper uh, out sets that they've had in a while. I mean, you think back to last year, I mean, we really found out what all Georgia had at receiver last year because, I mean, thanks to the elite class recruiting of Kirby Smart and Cortez Hankton, um, you know, they were able to survive uh, without the life of George Dickens and Jermaine Burton. Uh, obviously, Jermaine Burton was back here and there, um, depending on the injury, had some uh, had some nagging injury issues. Kyrus Jackson was out for Part of the season due to some nagging injury issues as well. Um, not to mention, Eric Gilbert missed all of last season after transferring to Georgia over the summer. So, Georgia was able to deal with that due uh, to the top class recruiting and some of the top tasks, uh, developing of Cortez hanging at receiver. Now, you got Brian McClendon back at Georgia, former receivers coach, and also coach running backs in his time uh, at Georgia under uh, coach Mark Rick. You know, a lot of people are saying that, or are hyping him up to be probably uh a better recruiter in some sense than Cortez Hankton. And and some people think he's going to end up having a more uh, impactful time at Georgia than Cortez Hankton uh, did. So, you know, that's going to be interesting to see, you know, if there is a leap forward with Brian McClendon back back in the mix as the receiver coach at Georgia, obviously um, being able to reel in some more five-star prospects, you know, the likes of uh, George Pickens, those type of guys who, you know, I think that was a big criticism for Cortez Hecton is he had no problem finding the Adoni Mitchells of the world, the guys that kind of flew under the radar, uh, and he was able to bring them in, you know, kind of out of nowhere and have them show up day one and and kind of produce. Uh, But, you know, it it seems that every position now at Georgia, the expectation is you have to get five stars, uh, whether it's quarterback, receiver, offensive line, or heck, even defensive line now, you have to get five stars. So, Dan, We've talked about receivers. Now it's time to uh, talk about some tight ends because, my God, does Georgia have a lot of them. Talked about it last week. Rudes, see you in the comments here on YouTube. Obviously, Um, you were a big part of the conversation last week, whether or not we could classify Brock Bowers as a tight end. Not only do you have Brock Bowers this year, you're going to have Darnell Washington fully healthy. Hopefully, fully healthy. Gonna get a guy like Eric Gilbert, who's gonna play probably both tight end and receiver once he gets down to that uh threshold of weight uh, and, and, and speed that Spass wants to see him. Dan, what all are you expecting from those guys putting Brad Bowers aside heading into 2022?
1: It's very difficult to put words or parameters around what me or anyone else can expect from this tight end room, other than pure domination. I've never seen a room so loaded. Just imagine back to when our running back room had Gurley, Chubb, Michelle, Keith Marshall, all in the same room, right? You would say that's probably about as loaded as you could possibly get. And for the most part, it kind of is because you had two of the greatest running backs in the history of Georgia on the same football team. So that's difficult to over here to surmount that. But you look at having Brock Bowers who, is arguably already the best tight end in football as a rising sophomore. You have Eric Gilbert, who was a can't-mess prospect. I remember the first time I talked to Brooks about this a couple years ago, he said, let me tell you about this kid, and he's the most dominant player I've ever seen in my life, and he could basically just walk straight into the NFL. And Granted, we haven't gotten to see Eric Gilbert play that much, but He wasn't the only one that had that opinion. There's a lot of guys that have that opinion. So if you look at those two alone, but then you have Oscar Delp coming in and and Oscar Delp is a really talented guy. I just, with this freshman group, I'm sorry, with, with Darnell Washington also added to the guys that are coming in. And then, you know, if we get to see a fully healthy version of him this year, He's got his weight under control. We already know he's a great straight line blocker. But also, if you think about it, when we throw to him in critical situations, more times than not, he makes a play. So it's difficult to say that he's just a straight line blocker. And he's an absolute mammoth human being. So he could be a real target in the red zone. They just have so many different ways with that room to hurt you. They can block you, they can outrun you, they can run around you, they can run through you, they can go over you, they can go under you. Uh, it, it's an incredible talent or uh, just an embarrassment of riches in that room. And I, like I said, it's hard to quantify what you can expect from that room because
0: they can literally do everything. And, it you know... The biggest, I think, the biggest improvement that's going to need to be taken is probably the block. Putting Darnell Washington aside, you look at Brock Bowers, Oscar Delp, and Eric Gilbert. Those guys are going to have to take some steps forward, uh, you know, in pass protection, also in run blocking. uh, Although those guys won't be asked to do much uh, pass protection, hopefully not, because hopefully those guys are lined up and going out uh, to get the football. So, but, you know, you know, Kirk Smart alluded to it in, in, in spring practice. That's where Eric Gilbert and Oscar Delp have more room to grow. And that's nothing, you know, out of the ordinary for those guys, for guys of their stature and of their skill set. Because you look at, I mean, Oscar Delp, he's he's going from, you know, blocking guys in high school that, what, maybe what, 230, 240 defensive ends. You know, maybe in some cases two sixties, 270 if you get that rare specimen. Uh, But now he's going to be guarding. He's going to be blocking guys that are much bigger. Uh, much faster and much stronger. Uh, so that that's going to be a step up. And then Eric Gilbert's case hasn't played football in almost over two years. So he's going to have to get used to playing back in the trenches and being physical with those guys. So it, it's going to be really exciting to watch how Georgia uh, distributes the football. Also really exciting to uh, – personnel track uh in some cases you know we're all going to be quality control coaches uh for georgia this year because hey you see brock bowers darnell washington and eric gilbert all travel onto the field at one time what are you calling that what package is that is that 13 personnel that's
1: you're about to get your ass whooped, personnel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I I, I saw someone you know, over the last few weeks talking about the new mantra of Georgia football should be the just roll out the damn thirteen personnel on the field. Todd, that's that's going to be the new mantra <laughs> going forward. So, and hey, I never thought it would be possible. You know, just a few years ago, Dan, we'd be sitting here talking about how George needs to utilize the tight ends more in a more modernized way. Well, now we're talking about thirteen personnel in a way where. You know, you can do whatever the heck you want with it.
1: That's hilarious because 100% there was a a narrative that Georgia doesn't throw to tight ends, that they, they don't use their tight ends. And I remember, hell, I remember myself being on Twitter talking about, oh, my God, we threw to a tight end. And because, like, we never threw to tight ends. It was like, it was a running joke. But, yeah, that, that's gone.
0: I guess we could thank Todd Hartley for that, right? Oh, that's way past gone. I mean, Brock Bowers decimated that. And, and even Darnell Washington, to an extent, at the end of 2020, uh, kind of decimated that as well. Uh, featured a lot more in the Georgia offense after kind of having to find his, uh, his his shoes for a little bit there, find his role in the offense after being primarily of a blocker for the first part, uh, developed into that. And, you know, I don't remember the last time I've seen a freshman skills player just come in, not, not a quarterback, not a running back, just come in and dominate as a freshman, like Brock Bowers did. So, you know, what does that jump uh, from year one to year two look like for him? I mean, you know, there's there's those clips that are going around social media still to this day of him outrunning uh, the whole Georgia Tech secondary. I think you talked about that a few weeks ago where he just, you know, catches a slant, turns on the gas uh, into the end zone. Just well, and out, an amazing play. And, yeah, it's Georgia Tech. But, guys, those guys, there's still the same athletes that are probably running four three, four four, you know, speeds at this point not at georgia tech (laughs) okay maybe at uab because he did the same thing at uab all right so we've we've
1: had an opportunity now to talk about the receivers the tight ends offensive line should be in good in a good spot and you know one of the things that we've learned um by following brooks austin with with another another shameless plug uh he gets 48 a show is
0: patreon.com forward slash brooks austin (laughs) Yeah, of
1: course (laughs) Is that Stacy Searles can coach, and Stacy Searles is going to have uh, some enthusiasm to be on the recruiting trail, and Stacy Searles is going to have some help in that regard. And you know he's he's anxious to do it. So you know everything that we've learned this last couple of weeks, and I won't give everything away. Is but it's just you know one of the things that we've learned is that the, the the Duke can coach. The people like him. The kids like him. They're reacting to him well. And he's gonna he's going to replenish that room. Okay so we've talked about the receivers we've talked about the we, we don't even have to talk about the backs the backs are ridiculous they're going to be great Kendall Milton's going to be great Ken uh Kenny McIntosh is going to be great hell if Dejon Edwards is our starting running back by week 2 uh, we're I'm, we're fine we're okay like we've got the backs so we ain't even got to talk about them but what does it always come back to at the end of the day what does it always come back to it is it is the lightning rod that is 5 foot 7 it is the 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 thing that gets the most attention at the University of Georgia. It's what we get picked on for from outside sources. And then inside the room, from inside of Georgia, you know, in dog nation, if you will, it, it's a split room. Half the people love him, half the people hate him. And there's really no in between. It's not like, hey, I just really like him. It's people either love him or they really hate him. And it's every day on Twitter. It's I mean, gosh almighty, how long? How were 90 6 days away from the next college football start season starting we're like 2 or 3 months away from our past winning the national t- title which apparently Stetson Bennett had nothing to do with clearly Oh yeah he got carried
0: uh, he he didn't yeah, do anything he, yeah. he
1: got carried Now listen I have been a Stetson Bennett critic I will always be a Stetson Bennett critic because there are things that he does that I don't like However you have to acknowledge the dude did something that no other Georgia quarterback has done in the last 41 years, which is win a national title. So you can be as mad as you want to at the guy. He didn't do anything other than show up, play when asked and win football games. Is there other guys on the roster who could do it better? Maybe, but you know what? For whatever reason, the coaches don't trust them to do it. And Stetson was able to show up every single one. So again, again, you have some notes on Stetson. I'll let you read your Stetson notes because of your notes. But it, the guy is delivered when asked.
0: I just the, – the question is, and I see it on Twitter. And, Dan, I'm going to ask you here because I'm putting you on the spot. Um, sure. That's what the show is. And I think it's relevant. Does – Stetson going to have another level. Does he have to take a next step in order for Georgia to repeat or to reach the heights that it did last year? And if he does, can he do it? I think that's been the big argument is, you know, did he peak too early? Did he peak last year?
1: Stetson? I Stetson. mean, if, if we're saying that he's hit his absolute peak, then that's not good. <laughs> um, because there, there are things he can – there are – things that he can work on and get better at like there's nothing he can do short of surgery installing rods in his legs there's nothing he can do to get taller however navigating the pocket better finding throwing angles better finding the lanes better developing the deep ball you know i mean although stats say he's got one of the better deep balls i think we anybody who watches the games knows that that's not that may be factually correct statistically, but if you watch him throw the deep ball, it takes one second. You can watch one JT Daniels throw and one that's a Bennett throw and like, oh shit, okay, that's, that doesn't look the same. But that's neither here nor there. But there are things that he can work on to get better. So has he peaked? I don't think he's peaked. But I'll go back to what I said a couple of weeks ago. He better stay healthy. Because Kirby's shown in the past that if you aren't available on game day and somebody else is, and he goes in and plays well, you may not get that job back. So, you know, Kirby's going to ride this Stetson thing out primarily because Kirby just does not like being told what to do. And everybody has told him that he's not the best quarterback. Now, I don't think it's a Kirby issue. I, I think he is playing the quarterback who gave him the best chance to win at the time. But he's gonna ride this thing out. But I will tell you, just a gut feeling, if Stetson gets hurt and misses any length of time and Carson Beck or Brock Vandergriff or whoever, Gunnar Stockton, I don't I don't care who it is. I really don't. If one of those guys gets in and tears it up and they and they start ripping off points, I'm talking about like let's just for example, uh who do they play week two, South Carolina, right?
0: Who? Week two No, or No, so they dumb. play
1: Oregon, they play Oregon and Cupcake, and then somebody else. Kent right? State.
0: Is it Kent State? Some yeah, I'm not worried about Kent, Kent State. State. But what, I think it's week
1: two, though. So who played? Who did they play the following week? The South Carolina, third week, right? I Think so. Okay, so whatever the case may be, let's just say something happens in in. And, and I'm not talking about the Kent State week because it doesn't. I mean, get, got <laughs> so that's a
0: Bennett through five touchdowns against UAB, right?
1: So what I'm saying <laughs> is, like, let's say South Carolina against uh, the redheaded monster up there at south carolina what's his name spencer rattler so let's just say he let's say carson gets to start in that game because he's hurt injured whatever the case may be and he does 400 something yards and five touchdowns against south carolina like if he does like something like jt daniels did against mississippi state like if you remember stetson was the starter jt went in against a decent team and lit the world on fire and everybody from the outside was like, Holy Nikes, we not, not, not never have we done that. And they're like, We want to see that next week. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm telling you, if Carson Beck was to do something like that against one of the major, like a real team that we play, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Stetson.
0: I, I don't want to be you that next week. You know, you do remind me, I forgot. Stet, you know, and people may forget as well, Stetson did not lose the job to JT because he got pulled from the Florida game. That's not what happened. Stetson got hurt in the Florida game, hurt his shoulder in that Florida game, got pulled. Dewan Mathis went in there. Obviously, um, there was that viral video of him warming up and hitting um, some dude in the head as he's throwing with uh, JT Daniels um, with Georgia fans. Um, That's the first time you've caught me. Yeah. <laughs> Georgia fans, you know, obviously uh, it's a meme to this day, but um, shout out to Jawan Mathis. Hope he's doing well at Temple. Um, but, you know, JT Daniels, you know, went in through for 400 yards, had four touchdowns against smooth State. That was the point he won the job. There's no turning back at that point. That was like when Seth and Bennett um, lit the world on fire against Auburn and, and, and Arkansas. Well, didn't like the word on fire against Arkansas. Nor did he really like the. I don't. I don't think he looked the word on hard. He saved, saved our bacon. Yeah, that's what he, he
1: did. He saved our bacon.
0: Yeah, he made sure the fries were hot. Um, as ended. as the Georgia, <laughs> he made sure the fries were hot. Why JT was hurt, and that's what ultimately won him the job. Um, so like Dan said, so, if you if you get injured, there's no guarantees you get your job back. I, I think that's the best. The, I mean, really, you go back and you think about it. It's really crazy, really crazy to think about how ruthless they are at quarterback over the last few years.
1: You can start with Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason comes in. He takes the job over Grayson Lambert, wins it. You know, Jacob Easton's the quarterback. They go through all – just think about that part of it. All the growing pains that we went through that first year with Jacob Eason. One day he would look phenomenal. The next day you'd be like, oh, my goodness, what did a- just do but we we suffered through that season and we we were like it doesn't matter what happens this is our guy we're gonna groom him whatever next season he comes in he gets hurt jake Fromm starts against notre dame and wins that game right he did not play good in that football game he didn't but he won the football game at notre dame i was there sitting in the corner of the end zone it was on believable jacob never got that job back Never get, never, not one time, never did he even give a chance to win that job. I think that's what pissed a lot of people off, too. I know it pissed me off because I had the biggest man crush in the history of the world on Jacob Easton. I, I, I followed that kid's high school career the entire time he was at Stevens High School or whatever it was out in Washington because they were like, This kid is the next thing, and I was just locked in on that guy. But he never. He was never given an opportunity to win that job back. Not even the next season. So he's that, that's the case. Well, then Fields comes in, and then we're not going to even touch that one. So anyway, Jake Fromm finishes out his career. He leaves. Okay. And, you know, then we have a situation where we don't really have a quarterback. Dewan Mathis gets dinged up. And he goes in, uh, Stetson goes in, saves his bacon, and and Dewan never gets a shot to get the job back. Right and DeWan started that game okay until he got his shoulder hurt by Bumper Pool, you know. Bumper Pool takes him out of the game, and he never never gets a chance to get that job back. It's Stetson's job. As soon as J.T. Daniels is healthy, he goes in, puts up the massive numbers that we already know about, and you know, the, you know, sorry, sorry, Stetson, you're not getting the job back. You're not now the 19th on the depth chart. So, you know, it's it's been ruthless, right? Well, then JT gets dinged up, not healthy. Carson Beck was supposed to start, doesn't start, just buried on the depth chart. They're like, he's in purgatory. So, you know, all of a sudden, here we are, Stetson Bennett again. Like, yay. Okay. And then JT's healthy again. No shot at giving him the job back. So, you know, there may be more things to that. Okay, whatever. But, yeah, Kirby... Kirby's like the grim reaper of the quarterback, bro. It's like, if you show a weakness, he's just going to kill you. So, I don't know, man. If I'm if I'm Carson Beck or Brock Vandegrift, I'm not transferring or even really being on the set. They're just like, they're like, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody pushes him off a sidewalk and he rolls his ankle. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we've beat that subject to death. So, I think... In summary, I think we both think that George's offense can be a lot better, but we're going to move on now to the number one segment in the history of the world. It's what is Dan angry about now? And I know you guys love this, so I'm going to try to come with a little bit of heat. Now, I try to think about these things and last week I got a suggestion for it and I thought I did, you know, pretty good or whatever, but fake insiders that that's what i've landed on this week it's fake insiders first of all who are these people who are these insiders where do they come from you don't know their names you don't know anything about them they don't have any real connections to these programs in most circumstances so who are they and why do we believe them so what are their connections what are their the connections to the program are we sure that they even have them or are they just saying that they do i mean for gosh sakes that uh ray uga guy or whatever the heck his name is you know we all know that's a parody i, I god darn it i hope we know that's a parody but anyway i think i got like twitter famous and in, in a hurry and then also, when you're looking at these people who claim to be insiders, look at the information they're sharing and ask yourself a pretty simple question. Would somebody who's really connected to a program who has relationships in the program, wants to sustain those relationships in a program, would they share that information? There's a difference between being a journalist who exposes information or whatever, and they don't give a shit whether you like them or not. They're going to just expose you for what they are. And, you know, those types of people, they're not insiders or journalists, and they don't they don't care about any of that stuff. So when these people claim to be insiders, look at the information they're sharing. Would a true insider with somebody with those relationships, would they actually share that information? And the other one that I want you to think about and ask yourself is, what do they actually know? Do they actually know anything? Or are they just regurgitating information? Because if you go back to what are their connections, think about it this way. Georgia's practices are closed. Georgia's locker rooms are closed. Hell, Brooks Austin can't walk into, and I'm not picking on Brooks. Please don't say, Brooks is not one of the fake people I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is like, Brooks can't walk into the locker room and just hang out with the kids all week long, okay? So those types of guys, they have to have connections. So do you trust that they have legitimate connections that can give them bona fide information? And if if the answer is that no or you don't know, then why are we listening to these people? Why are these people getting so famous? I see these idiots on Twitter. They've got like 15,000 followers. I've got like 300. And I know way more people than these other idiots. I mean, for God's sakes, one of my best friends from high school was the freaking academic advisor for the entire football team. You don't think that he has connections? You don't think he gets information? Every single one of those students come into his office, every last one of them, and he makes sure that their learning plan, lesson plan, whatever, tutors are all set up, all that stuff. He knows who's hurt, who's not. He knows who's playing, who's not. But I can't release that information because I don't want to ruin that relationship and I'm not trying to get into that space, right? But who are these people? What are they, you know? It just, Harrison, it blows my mind how quick we are to just, anoint these people of these some I mean, like rusty mansell for example okay that man has busted his ass and basically created an entire business around this he is one of the first ones that i ever paid attention. to just is another one that was really early on this space and you could see the relationships. They prove the relationships. They're on the sidelines on game day. They, they have face to face meetings with Kirby. They, they are with the staff. Rusty Mansell is one of the most trusted guys in the entire industry. I've seen him in our high school. I've seen him in the locker rooms. I've seen him with the high school coaches. I trust things come out of their mouth. But the, ah, oh gosh, almighty, don't name names. All right, I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna name names, but there are guys on Twitter. You're like, bro, you're 20 years old in a punk. Like, you don't have real connections. You're regurgitating information that somebody else got for you. You're going behind a paywall, getting information, pretending that that's coming from you. It's bull crap. So, anyway, yeah, hot about that. I just, I just get so angry at the the fake insiders in this industry. It's like you're not anybody. You're not real. You're not a nobody. And then. It did, you know. It, it makes it people like who like Rusty and Jeff and Brooks and guys who we know have connections, and they and these idiots they devalue the information coming from them or have the audacity to call them out. So I, it, I don't take over because I'm just I'm I'm flummoxed
0: here. Bottom line is is what Dan's saying is, um, and I would like to touch on. You know, there are a lot of Good people in Georgia's space. A lot of good people in this space. Uh, I've had a pleasure of meeting um, a few of them, and you know, there's there's none better out there that I, I, I've met. I mean, there's there's a ton of them. So, like like you said, like your parents told you back in the day at the beginning of the internet, um, make sure you, you look into where you're getting for your information. Make sure it's credible. Um, we try to look over any stories we do on here um, that we talk about. We make sure that it is coming from a credible source is I'm not going to come. Br- I'm not going to try and bring you um, some report from some Joe blows um, out in Wisconsin um, talking about, you know, whether or not uh, the university of Southern California um, is, is getting some recruit um, from, from California. So that's not, that's not what we're going to be about. But as they always said, make sure you get, um, we you- look into where you're getting your information. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of great people to get your information from, whether it's Brooks, Rusty Manziel, um, Rodney Bolsey, just just to name for you. There's a lot of options in this space. Who says you can't subscribe to all of them, guys? Because no. you know the diehards do it, man. Yeah, they do. They 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 provide a great
1: service. They provide great, and they all got their own thing. <laughs> yeah, you know. And then, and I please, I'm I'm addressing the guys on like these Twitters and stuff like that. Okay, I'm not necessarily going behind the scenes on that way. But then there's also good information in shows like Robert, the DGD podcast, right? Uh, Our brothers, Jonathan and Jeremiah on uh, Classic City Sports. They give good information, but they don't claim to be insiders. None of them do. They don't claim to be insiders. Do we know people? We all know somebody. We all know people. We don't have the... The relationships, to the extent somebody like Rusty Mansell or anything like that, that's why they are who they are, and that's why we are who we are. But the point is that none of us claim to be that, and we're not trying to give you information like I know something that nobody else knows. And I think that's where I get frustrated and angry: is you got people like us, Robert, Jeremiah, Jonathan, who try to do a good job, give you an entertaining show, and. We try to gather all the information that we're getting and try to disseminate it over the airwaves this type of way. But then you've got other people who are just trying to act like, you know, they're Kirby's best friend. And like him and Kirby hang out all weekend and he just tells them every little bit of information. It's like, don't buy into that crap. It's not true. You already know that Kirby doesn't say anything at all unless he wants it to get out. Like Kirby's not going to say anything controversial about his program. He's not going to give, Kirby's not leaking information about who's starting at right tackle this weekend. That's not happening. If you think it is, if you think some idiot on the internet has a relationship with Kirby, do you think that kind of information, then I have beachfront property in Idaho to
0: sell you. And with that, that will conclude this week's edition of What Is Dan Ayer About Now? Guys, we still got, we are 37 minutes in, and we still got a lot more to talk about um i do want to address it real quick um if you do hear my voice fading i did uh have a little bout with covid over the last few days um so if my voice does give out at some points you know why powering through i do feel much better and i'm powering through it uh to make sure we can get through this episode today but dan you suggested this segment we put it into the show uh pretty much immediately and actually i'm just gonna let you take it away and let you introduce this topic
1: All right. Well, we were trying to come up with show topics, and one of the ones that we recommended was who has the best chance of knocking off Georgia this year? And what got me to thinking on this is I had the, or I went and saw the movie Maverick this weekend, and it was probably one of the best sequels I've ever seen in my entire life. And you can come at me if you want to, I don't care. And that movie is phenomenal. So it got me thinking, like, what are some of the best sequels ever? And then, if, if you follow my crazy brain, that translated to Georgia's sequel. What what does Georgia do to follow up their national championship season? What does their sequel season look like? And who has the chance to be the villain in that? Who's the, who's the, the team that has the ability to ruin that season? Now, there are some parameters to this, and I've already gone over these rules with Harrison, and he understands. Alabama is not allowed. You're not allowed to say Alabama because Alabama forevermore until Nick Saban leaves and somebody else comes in and destroys the program uh, is going to be a team that can win a football game, right? So we are not allowed to say Alabama. And to start this conversation, it is who has the ability to be the villain and derail the Georgia sequel or ruin the Georgia sequel during the regular season. So all of your postseason teams are off the table until later in the conversation. So, if we go through the list of all the different people, I started out. I kind of put them in order of how I thought they would, and I'll let Harrison have his rebuttal. So I started off with Tennessee under year. And maybe I'm a little bit influenced by Harrison because he's on the Tennessee bandwagon. But it's year two under Hypel. It's it is a team that can put up points in a freaking hurry. I won't steal all of your notes. I'll let you come back. So they can put up points in a freaking hurry, and they have athletes. They haven't recruited at a super high level, but they've been bringing in people. They've got a couple different transfers to come in. They're gonna be, um, you know, they're able to come in and be sustain that program. My fear would be that Georgia somehow gets in a shootout with them and is not able to score late in the game, maybe to catch up. So Tennessee is at the top of my list. Would you like to have a rebuttal now, or do you want me to go through my list?
0: Keep going. I, okay. I, I agree with that.
1: All right. So number two on my list, and you may disagree with this. I think there are a lot of people who will disagree with this, but it's Florida. And it's and it's Florida for obvious reasons, right? Because Florida is one of those teams that is always a thorn in our side. And I know we've beat them pretty handily recently. But they can up and beat you. And they do have their new head coach in Billy Napier. What would be a bigger jumping on point for that entire program, fan base, coaching staff, all of that, than, than beating Georgia, right? I, I think on their schedule, there's not a team on that Florida schedule they would want to win more than Georgia, okay? So I have Florida number two. Number three would be Kentucky. And the simple reason I have Kentucky on there is they do have a competent quarterback who I do not think is to be a first round or a top five NFL draft pick. So you miss me with that, but they have an outstanding defense. They have the ability to slow the game down and force Georgia to play at a much slower pace and possibly, you know, have or just, you know, just create a turnover, somehow take advantage of that. So, you know, Kentucky is number three on my list. Number four is Auburn and Auburn's just got to be on the list. Because it's freaking Auburn. There are cousins. They're if for the longest time they mirrored our program. Crazy things happen in those games. Auburn is one of those charm teams, whether it be against us or Alabama, where they just win games they should not freaking win. Last year, Auburn should have never been in that football game with Alabama. And damn it if it didn't take a miracle to beat them in that game. So Auburn is just on the freaking list. Okay, they just are. And then Oregon. They're on the list just because they have to be – because they're an actual real program. Dan Lanning is going to have them fired up to play. I don't think that's realistic. The the two names for me that are the most realistic are Tennessee and Florida. And I I think that we can overcome Kentucky. I think we can overcome um, Auburn. I don't think uh, Oregon is going to be able to play a full four quarters with us. So, for me, during the regular season, the two biggest villains – to, to completely ruin the sequel for Georgia would be Tennessee and Florida.
0: You're up. All right. So I did some little adjusting with Dan's rankings. Obviously, he had – uh, we both have Tennessee in common. Spoilers. Um, I know you're shocked. It's breaking news. Tennessee's up top, and obviously it's for reasons Stan already said. Bring back Dan Hooker uh, – Hendon Hooker, not Dan Hooker. Talking about the UFC. H- <laughs> Hendon Hooker. Obviously, I think he's probably an underdog uh, for the Heisman, you know, Already, um, obviously not being on the odds right now, the odds list not being um, not being up there. But if he goes out there and puts up the numbers, he did. I think he had over 30 touchdowns and just two or three interceptions. And you know, if Tennessee wins eight to nine games, maybe that's enough to get him in that Heisman race, uh, eventually. So obviously, Tennessee is the top of the list. Number two, this is gonna differ from Dan. I got Oregon. And I know Georgetown has been beaten in a home opener since Clemson did it back in 2013, 2013, 2014. I don't remember the exact year that was. Um, And I don't remember the last time it happened before then, um, before Clemson. So the big thing with with Oregon, and I think, you know, is the familiarity. And that's that's the aspect that everyone's building up. Not that I'm saying that familiarity wins football games, that it guarantees success in head-to-head matchups, because obviously – it's not the case. That's why you know. If it was the case, the Nick Saban wouldn't you know have just Nick Saban wouldn't have just two assist, former assistant coaches to have beaten him, and, and both came within the last year. That that would that would not be the case. If familiarity was a big determining factor in winning football games, that wouldn't be the case. So Oregon, I, I, they got talent. Mari Cristobal recruited probably just as well as he could at that at, at that school in his time there. And I think Dan Lanning is going to be able to keep up that success. I don't know if it will rebound from year one. But I think he's going to keep that program going. Maybe elevate it to that Pac-12 championship level over the few years. It's going to have a tough job in USC. But also, Dan, I'm sorry. But they do have Bo Nicks. So, yes, you do have a fourth year of Nix to watch uh, in a game against Georgia. Obviously, 0-3 to start against Georgia. Closest game coming his freshman year which was probably his best game uh, against Georgia in his three years so far. But here's the kicker. He's being reunited with his OC from that same year, Kenny Dillingham. I don't know the exact details of whether or not Dillingham was the play caller back in, I think, what, that was 2019? Yeah, the 2019 Jake Fromm's last year at Georgia. Close game. Bonex had a pretty good game, to my recollection. Going to be reunited that same play caller. All right. Number three. I got Florida because, like Dan said, it's rivalry; it's there. Now, Dan, here's where it gets a little bit more different. South Carolina. That was some, that was someone that I I, I don't remember hearing mentioned, but I got them ranked above Auburn, and it's for this reason: you bring in Austin Stogner, you bring in Spencer Rattler. Obviously, a lot of hype around those two. Does Shane Beamer have enough? Have what it takes offensively to score on Georgia? Obviously, Georgia's going to be missing a few pieces. I think Spencer Rattler plays to the potential that everyone saw in him, you know, with, with tools around him that aren't as talented as they were at OU, but he somehow gets out of that situation, gets out of Norman and just needed a new environment to succeed. Then, hey, may, may, maybe maybe he pulls an upset. Then I got Mississippi State. Air Raid. Who would you want to see, Lee Stan? for a defense that is as young as Georgia this year, for the same defense that everyone's building up in the mainstream media as one that's going to have problems. Not that I agree with it, but, you know, if George's defense is going to be lacking um, as much as everyone says they are in the mainstream media, then Mississippi State's not a team you're going to want to see um, no matter what part of the season you're seeing them in. Mike Leach, always an issue last time those two played one score game. Gonna be a fun game to watch. I'm gonna hate the cowbells, but I'll sit through ten. And lastly is Auburn, because like Dan said, it's a rival game. Always easy to get up for no matter how bad or how good Auburn is, they're they're always gonna get up for Georgia.
1: So I, I like the South Carolina one and I was actually thinking of having them on my list and I just I didn't pull the trigger because I don't know that they have the collection of talent necessarily or really one side of the ball being so dominant but that could my opinion could change really quickly on that because if spencer rattler goes in there plays to his potential and the guys around him are able to play at a higher level it, you know maybe he gets it, maybe at south carolina he's able to do something he couldn't do at, uh, at oklahoma which is raise the level of player the goes around him if he's able to do that that's fine now i will say that Everything you ever heard about Spencer Rattler coming out of Arizona is his teammates didn't like him. He was a a jerk. And, like, I've heard that from people that I really trust that have been on that quarterback, you know, have been out to the Elite 11, some of the guys who have been around a lot of these high-level quarterbacks. And one thing that just kept coming up was that guys just don't like him. And I guess without being able to – name names and say this is who said it or whatever like that. I think the easiest way to get my point across is look how quickly Oklahoma turned on him. Caleb Williams goes in, has a good game. The entire team was like, hell yeah, get rid of Spencer. How often does that happen? Like, even with the Jake from Justin Fields thing, like the entire team didn't say, we're in this boat. It was kind of like some over here and some over here. But at Oklahoma, they were all like, We're in Spencer's boat. As soon as Caleb steps in the game, it's like, boom, we all jump in the other boat. So maybe that has something to do with it. And the other one that you mentioned that I didn't have on my list was Mississippi State. And that's because I totally forgot about Mississippi State. (laughs) That is a great point. That team can score points in a hurry. Uh, My biggest concern would be, again, kind of with the South Carolina thing, I don't know if they have enough talent. You know, in their top 35, 40 guys to sustain a four quarter game. But I guess for some of the reason that we are circling the Tennessee game is that Tennessee could put up so many points so fast that if you put Georgia in a hole and they start playing, you know, Robert says something earlier Georgia will be Georgia if they lose a the football game. And I think that's kind of what I'm saying is if Georgia was to get in a hole really quickly, Georgia's not able to play the the way that they want to play. And they're forced to play in a different way. You know, is that, is that a situation where they, they lose that football game? So that that's actually a really good call by you. I I that I appreciate you bringing that one.
0: So with that, Dan moving on, it is, um it is a good, Oh, actually wait, hold up. I did. We did skip over one thing before we do move on. Oh yeah. Post Postseason. We're newcomers. Post-season. We both agree, so I'm going to let you take this one. Yeah.
1: Okay, so, I mean, you never know how the playoffs are going to break down. But my biggest fear, in, in the premise of this, again, going to back, is what team would derail Georgia's sequel season and prevent them from getting to the national title game. Now, this doesn't mean the team that would stop them from winning a national title in the championship game. It's who would stop them from getting back. And my biggest fear would be if they were to play Ohio State in the Final Four I think that is a recipe for disaster because Ohio State has got a big chip on their shoulder and they have not fared well against SEC teams. They've got everything coming back. They, you know, we kind of said that Ryan Day is next on that list where he's got to win a national championship next to solidify himself as one of the most elite coaches in, in college football. Kirby has exercise the demons as far as that is concerned and now it's Ryan Day's turn to exercise those demons so that is just and I'm not saying that Georgia can't win that game that's not the point of the conversation the point is who has the most realistic chance of beating Georgia and I think Ohio State out of all the teams that are out there that we could potentially meet in the playoffs Ohio State would be the one that I fear the most meaning I think they have the most legitimate shot to beat Georgia I think on almost every level, they can compete with Georgia. They may like they they're much better at quarterback position, right? They are probably very close in running backs. They are they probably get the nod in wide receivers, even though I really like our wide receivers. Defense, I think in most areas we get the nod. I think they've got some pretty good corners. They usually have a good secondary. They always have a linebacker they can hit. They they, they recruit at the top five level every single year, so they got players all over the place. Ohio State is just a team. I would not want to see. And again, we are just, we are not including Alabama for this conversation. So, yeah, it's got to be Ohio State, right?
0: Has to be. And, and, and talking about the receivers comparison, I think I agree. With I mean, I think they get the nod, but I think it depends on how you look at it. Top end wise, I think they get the nod because Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, there's not a better receiver in college football, in my opinion. Coming back into this year, I mean, what that did do it in the Rose Bowl, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Never seen a receiver take over a football game like that. talked about that in the past. Um top end wise, that goes to them. But I think when you go down the list and you look at overall depth, I think George is much deeper than they are, or maybe just as deep as they are.
1: Yeah, I just that that's the one team that gets it to me. So I I mean to to recap, I think we both all agree of all the different teams that we play, they they all pose a threat, whatever, and we we ranked them in the order you more than welcome to uh, <laughs> we're pregaming the, the big show, thanks, Brooks. <laughs> um, okay. yeah, so that it is what it is, but anyway, let's transition to our last segment of the night so we can get people out of here and get them uh on to the Brooks Austin show.
0: Who gets okay, dot com forward than... slash bush Austin? I know he doesn't ever or plug or our English show, plug.
1: yeah, never plugs our show. God almighty, it's like we're just like <laughs> of mice and men down here. So, anyway, our final segment of the evening and this kind of feels weird with me transitioning the whole time, Harrison, because um, this is like – Hey, it helps bag.
0: me out because I, I have been sick, so I'm, yeah. I'm occasionally having to go off screen to blow my nose and such. I do appreciate it. All right,
1: so last segment of the night, I would love to hear what you guys have to say. And these are the newcomers to the program that we are most excited to see through summer practice and hopefully early in the season. So for me – Yeah, and it may not necessarily just be freshmen, but for the most part, these are freshmen for me. So number one on my list of guys that I'm most excited to see in the summer is Malachi Starks. For obvious reasons, I've covered the kid uh, for the last four years. I've seen 90% of his football games. I've watched him play. I have a connection with the kid. He is an outstanding human being. Uh, I just love everything about him. So for selfish reasons, the the person I am most excited to see is Malachi Starks play DB. So that guy is going to be – I hope he's just an absolute beast. Number two would be Michael Williams. He is the highest-rated player that Georgia got in this past class. He's number four uh, overall on the two-four-seven composite. He is a position of defensive lineman. It is one of the things that we were looking forward to. Everything I've heard about this kid is he is going to be a guy who can play right away. I am extremely excited to see Michael Williams. Another one for me is – Branson Robinson. I have not seen a whole lot of his high school tape. The high school tape that I have seen, I really, really like. I have seen pictures of this guy, and oh my God, he looks like a freak of nature. So Branson Robinson is one of the guys that I just cannot wait to see. And who knows how much we'll get to see him, but Jordan has always done a really, really good job of getting backs, carries, the young guy. So I think we will have an opportunity to see him, especially week two. I think we're going to see him a good bit. Number four on my list of guys I'm really excited to see is Denyla Morissette. So I didn't know a whole lot about this guy. Brooks was talking about him all the time. He covered him. He did a break, uh, breakdown. So Morissette is a guy that uh, I'm excited to see. And then Chandler Smith, the wide receiver from Florida, I'm excited to see him, heard a lot of great things about him. I think there's an opportunity for wide receivers to get some, op, you know, get some catches early in the season. They've always done a really good job of rotating, just like with the running backs. But Malachi Starks, number one for me. Michael Williams, position of knees. So I'm excited to see him get out on the field. Branson Robinson, because the guy looks like a frick of nature. The Nylon Moore set because Brooks was really high on him. And Chandler Smith, because I've heard some really good things about him. Those are my five guys I can't wait to
0: see. I had it on because I agree with all five of Dan's picks. I was I was I was I was hoping. Um Hoping for a few to be left behind, and he did leave me some, um, so that was good. Uh, I let Dan get the first to the pie, so I got the second. Sl- uh, I got the second slices over here, um, and it's pretty damn good ones. And, and also some guys that um, Brooks is, is high on, uh, at least from my recollection. Probably all three of the all all these guys he was high on, um, because I mean there are a lot of dudes in this class. First up being Darius Smith. Outside linebacker. He's six foot six, Dan, 230 pounds. Who does that remind you of? Six foot six, 230 pounds, described as wiry, strong, fast as hell, can run track. He is a pretty damn good track player and could play basketball in high school. Also played receiver. I mean, guys, the comparison here is Adam Anderson. Adam Anderson was a speed demon off the edge, could get after the quarterback like nobody's business. Um, I mean, maybe Georgia found that next guy up, that next guy up to come in. Not a five-star like Adam Anderson was coming out of high school, but is a four-star. Um, I'm excited to see what he does. He is a summer enrollee, so he just moved in today uh, with the rest of the freshman class. Another guy that we've already seen um, pretty pretty well. Uh, oh, here we go. 4.8 uh, four, 4. second, 400 uh, insanity from Darius Smith. Brooks Austin contributing there. Brooks, we do want to get your – while you're still here – Jaheim Singletary and Joey Humphrey, two corners that I think everyone's highlighted on the recruiting sheets as dudes because, I mean, obviously Georgia has a track record so far under Kirby Smart, of developing some top-class cornerbacks. I mean, there, there's there's none more highly touted than Jaheim Singletary and Joey Humphrey. Add him alongside uh, freshman already enrolled Daylon Everett, who, I mean, popped pretty damn good. Uh, popped off the screen in the spring game, um, from our recollection, for what we see, made some pretty good plays. Obviously, gave up that big play early um, to Arian Smith, but who doesn't? Because the dude is a speed demon. But made some adjustments throughout the game um, to keep up with him. So really good job by Dalen Everett from the TV cop and from everyone's been saying about him. Excited to get those two guys on campus, and obviously Oscar Delp because why not? It's the tight end, um, a, a, a guy that Robert mentioned in the comments. Marvin Jones Jr., obviously another really highly talented edge rusher. Georgia absolutely reloaded uh, that front seven uh, in this recruiting class, obviously, because you lost guys like Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, N'Kobe Dean, Channington, the list goes on. So much names to replace, and I think Georgia did a pretty good job in this 2022 class uh, of filling some holes, and hopefully all they got to do now is just develop them into those uh, top draftable stars. So, Dan, before we let everyone go – Tell them where they can find you um, on Twitter. Sorry, I had a blank. Uh,
1: it's Dan Kylie three, but I did want to uh, comment on one of your guys is uh, with Darius Smith, the outside linebacker. That guy, I got to see him in high school. I did his playoff game, and he's extremely athletic. And but he, the wiry strong thing is the one thing that. I take a little bit of umbrage with because he's wiry. The strong, I don't know, because he got pushed around a lot, but he's had an entire offseason to add some strength and weight, and I'm sure that they're going to be able to do that. So he's got a 6'6 frame, 230 pounds. He has plenty of opportunity to put some weight on that. And I know Brooks has seen him in person too, you know, there's a chance that that because he's his frame is so empty right now that he could put on some massive weight. I wouldn't be shocked, and maybe he won't, maybe he'll settle in right there. But it wouldn't surprise me if if he get gets the, the ability to play to the defensive line because he's got so much room to put on weight, and it's just a matter of how they want to use him. But you know, one of the things I did notice in high school is that he was just kind of so big and lanky, he did get kind of uh pushed around a little bit, and some guys got some leverage on him. But yeah, he he's he is very interesting about seeing early because there's so much room for development with that guy. But yeah. Anyway, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, at Dan kylie three. And um, you know, I, I, I would love some interactions, some followers, some from you guys like share hook us up guys. Yeah. Like Brooks is saying two fifty five in a year is another realm of possibility. That would be adding 25 pounds. And I think that's very doable. And I'd be interested to hear Brooks's take if, you know, when he, how quickly he gets up to 255 might change some people's minds in that room of, about where they want his overall weight to be because he is extremely athletic, quick, fast, twitch kind of guy. If he's able to easily carry 280, 290 pounds, maybe see him move to an outside tech uh, on the defensive line, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see that. So, uh, you know, maybe Brooks can comment on that, but – maybe uh,
0: Mar- real quick while the peer pressure is on them in the comment section Brooks how about we get you on the show so um uh, sometime soon how about oh, say he- next week talk about newcomers <laughs> um, but yeah because i mean there's a lot to talk about with these newcomers um you know not only the newcomers but what georgia has oh, coming back um this year uh real quick he says he's a year or two out but you have young polished rushers in that class he's a gamble and a damn good one Brooks Austin make sure y'all go tune in uh on youtube i don't it should be available. I think it's available for everyone. Brooks' big board unveiling uh, the big board for wide receivers. Obviously, George is going to have some needs in that wide receiver class in 2022 in the 2023 class. So, why not go see where Brooks ranks them on their board? Does an in depth analysis of each guy, takes the time out of his day and away from um, his family to go watch these guys, go watch their tape, evaluate them, grade them based off of his scale. And he has publicly put that out there uh, to let you know what he's looking for. And how he grades these guys. So, really good in depth analysis by Brooks Austin. You can also go find him over at SidogsDaily.com. Um, a lot of good work being done over there as we get closer and closer uh, to college football season because, God, are we missing it? But like Dan said, you can go follow him at Dan kyle uh, 3 on Twitter. you can go follow me at Harrison Reno on Twitter. Guys, this has been episode 44 of the Top Dog Talk podcast. Shout out to the GGD podcast, the Film Guy Network, the Classic City Sports podcast. Uh, just some of the uh, other shows that have been in our comment section as of late. Shout out to all those guys. want to see everybody grow. Guys, we'll see you back next week, Tuesday night, 730. See you soon.